And that's what happens to businesses not realizing that, hey, if I just completely go to one little thing and become the best at it, there's so many people that need that. It's just a matter then of marketing to the right people with the right product and the opportunities are endless. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to introduce to you my guest today, Tim Michael. Tim is the creator, best-selling author, and podcast host of The 10 Factor. Now, like so many successful entrepreneurs, Tim really did fail his way to success. In 2008, he lost over $300,000 after resigning from a 12-year corporate management career to pursue his side business full-time. His business grew exponentially, but one bad deal, which you'll hear Tim talk about in this conversation, almost left the company bankrupt. He managed to tap into emergency funds, fought back and restructured, resulting in a new profit-producing model that required less than 40% of the effort that he'd been putting in before. Tim saw an opportunity to help other business owners do the same thing. So he reverse engineered his process, validated it with top entrepreneurs, and created a 10-month roadmap, the 10 factor, that he now uses as the success blueprint to help others engineer their business around their ideal lifestyle. All of this while he gives back extensively to support the fight against prostate cancer. In this episode, we dive into Tim's story and he shares some really valuable advice. So if you are someone who feels like your business is not aligning with your values and the way that you really want to be living your life, then this is certainly the episode for you. Before we dive in, I want to remind you that if you're getting value from this podcast, the best thing that you can do is to leave a five-star review and share this with your friends. So once this episode wraps up, text it to a friend who you think might be able to benefit from this kind of content. It means the world and I truly appreciate your support. So with that, here's my conversation with Tim Michael. Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks, Dorothy. Excited to be here today. Well, so I want to jump into your story. But before we do that, I'm hoping you can kind of set the stage for us. What was life like for you growing up? And what were the beliefs around money and success that were instilled in you as a child? Okay, we can do that. So when when I grew up, I I grew up in, I guess, a traditional family of two younger sisters. And we we all did did fairly well in school. We we went to church every week. Um, we, We were very active in Sports. My sisters were very active in, in dance as well, and, and then we, we were we were busy. We had a lot going on. Uh, for the most part, my mom was a stay at home mom up until the point where my youngest sister was back in school full time, and then she kind of went back to work at that point. So we we really grew up um, in just a you know a typical middle class type family. And my my dad had a long term job that you know from the time I was he started we, we moved into the house that I pretty much grew up in. I think I was about three years old. He took that job right about then and had that same job up until I was in college. So very stable and uh, just a you know good good family, local, um, 
relatives were on one side were local and the other side, they were halfway across the country. So we didn't see them as much, but that was, that was basically it. And then as I uh, went through high school, I decided that uh, the place for me was engineering. So I ended up at Virginia Tech, which on the East Coast here, I'm, I'm based out of Baltimore, Maryland. On the East Coast, Virginia Tech is one of the big engineering schools up and down the coast. So I ended up going there, got my civil engineering degree and specialized within construction management, which led me to my first job out of college, which I, which I kept for 12 years, which was on managing large commercial construction projects across the country. So was entrepreneurship an eventual goal of yours or was it something that you know kind of just happened organically? Well, I, okay. So there was some groundwork laid when I was in college that I think put the idea in my head. So, so growing up, no. Both of my grandparents, uh, my dad grew up as a, in a farming family in the Midwest in North Dakota. So, so they, they had that, basically they grew up as entrepreneurs in, in that sense. And on the East Coast here, my mom's family, uh, my, my grandfather was an entrepreneur as well. So it was in the blood and we understood and they both you know, created good, successful families in that sense. But then my, my dad took the traditional path and, and went to work. And, and worked for somebody else for a lot of years. But when I was in college, he lost his job after 17 years. And essentially what happened was he was like the number two guy in the company, long-term job. And the boss's son graduated, family company, boss's son graduated from college. My dad in turn trained, didn't realize he was training his replacement. One day he walked into work and his job was gone. So I was a sophomore in college at that point, had two younger sisters coming fast and hard behind me. And my dad ended up at that point realizing that he couldn't find a job that was going to cover their expenses because he was making pretty good money there. So he would have had to take a pay cut in order to find a job to replace that. So he started a business. And here he is, like I guess about 23, 24 years later, still running that business successfully. So I, I knew when I got out of school that I probably was not going to work for a family company because I saw that risk. So I went to work for a bigger uh, company with a couple thousand employees kind of took that out of the equation. But no, I didn't really have aspirations to be a entrepreneur or an entrepreneur per se. But there was some things that happened along the way that led me to that, that kind of pushed me that route. Gosh, I mean, it's such, it's such a heartbreaking story, right? And I think it also points a little bit towards this idea of, uh, you know, having a regular job is secure, right? You know, that, that's what people always talk about, that entrepreneurship is the risk and, and having a job is secure. But that's not necessarily always the case. It's really, you know, putting your fate, if you will, in someone else's hands. And, you know, you can get let go one day and, and have, have no control over that. And so, you know, I think in, in some ways, there's this, um, there's almost this comfort that comes with, managing your own destiny as an entrepreneur. Would you agree with that? I would. And it, it's a function of where you want to be. What Do you want to control your destiny or do you want to let somebody else control it? And, and as an entrepreneur, it opens up a world of opportunities to create a lifestyle that you want for your family, basically, which is what, what that's what drives me. And when you work for somebody else, they've created the model. So they have, you're, you're being hired for a job, unless you're a decision maker in a company, you know, at some high level, but, but even then you're still not the ultimate, the final, somebody always can, can trump what you say. So it, once you have your own business, you have the opportunity to, to kind of write your own story. And that's one of the biggest things that I work with uh, people that work with me on is teaching them that when you do grow a business, 
You can either grow a business to work around your life, or you can grow a business to make money and then figure out how to make your life work around your business. But if you're gonna do that, you might as well have a job, in my opinion. And that and that's that's really the allure of the entrepreneurship is being able to create that life that that you want, which is different for everybody. Nobody can tell you what's right and wrong. You have to take, you know, what what you want, what you what you're talented in, what you enjoy doing, what you can make money at. You kind of put all those things together. And then that leads you down that path to to create that lifestyle, which is which is pretty incredible. But most people struggle to get there, and that's the reality. Yeah. Well, before we talk about you know how you guide other entrepreneurs through that process, expand on your own story a little bit. So you know you leave this career, this twelve year career, to to start your side business or to pursue your side business. What was that business? You know what happened that caused the company to almost go bankrupt and. And then uh, take me through what that process looked like of rebuilding. Well, uh, let me let me briefly just tell you why I ended up going turning the side business full time because that's a, that's an integral part of the story. So so I had this long term job, and about seven years into twelve is when I started to get the itch. And basically, at that point in time, that's when I started to move into a more serious relationship with with the woman who would eventually become my wife. And we we started talking about family and things like that. There was no kids in the mix yet, but you you start planning and you start thinking about things. And it was two deal breakers with that company, which kind of hits on what we talked about before. So number one was extended travel. I was doing large commercial projects, you know, upwards of $50 million in a lot of instances. So those jobs don't get done quickly. And they're not always going to be right, right here in town. So I spent a couple of years on the West Coast and was, was bidding work all over the country. So at any given point, I could be plucked up and go basically live on the road and come home to visit my family, which I didn't have yet. But didn't want to be in that position. So that was kind of a deal breaker, number one. Then deal breaker number two was we wanted to create the same type of a family that I grew up in where, where I would be the primary income earner. And I wasn't quite making enough money to cover two salaries. So that was deal breaker number two. So that so started the side business and we were working on the first child. And I got a call on a Friday afternoon to come up to the corporate office. And I was doing a fairly big hospital job close to home. And they were going to ship me up to New York to be a fixture on a bad job. So that led to a series of um, events and a short conversation with my boss of years to say, hey, I've got this side business. Um, it's been done completely on the side, not to impact what I'm doing, but I, I can't go. So that led down the road. Basically, right after that, I gave my notice and said, okay, I've, they wanted me to shut the business down. I said, it's not going to happen. So I ended up giving my notice. And in the process, I, um, I gave back a tremendous amount of benefits. One of those benefits, which you, you hit on in the opening, was over $300,000 that I wasn't vetted in yet. So, so that was a big, like, here you go. I'm going to go out on my own. And oh, by the way, I'm going to start off in a hole. So I did. And that business grew really, really fast. And I, and I look back and I try to say, what, what did I do to make it grow so fast? Well, what I did was I, for 15 months, I was working a full-time job where I was working 50 plus hours a week. I was running a side business that was quickly growing. So I was, and I was, had my family and my house and all these other things. So at that point in time, I was more efficient probably than I had ever been. So when I left and you take 50 hours off the plate, all of a sudden... All the time in the world. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, but you have that momentum. So I just kind of kept going and it, it, we just exploded. And when, when we exploded, what happened was by that August, that was April of, of 08, by August, I brought my, my wife home from her job and in October, our first child was born. So we kind of wrote that story the way it was supposed to be. 
And then reality set in. So, so the business grew and then I bottlenecked it. Apologies if I missed this. What was the business? Oh, I'm sorry. It, it, was, a, it was a small uh, brick and mortar contracting company based here in Maryland. So instead of doing the national deal and going all over the place, I said, okay, I'm going to go in a different, a different niche within the same basic industry, which was building and start this business. And uh, that's what I did. And here we, here we were, we grew and then we kind of leveled and we stayed there for a lot of years several years. And we, the business ebbed and flowed based on what Tim could do. And that's, I guess that's a big lesson for the listeners. When you build a business and you be a part of it, then um, what happens on the back end is exactly uh, you bottleneck your own business. So when, when that happened, it was, it was just a matter of time because I was the sales guy and I was the primary process guy. So it was back and forth and then we hit a point where we took on a risky business venture, trying to help somebody out and basically fronted a job for a couple of years for somebody that was going to pay on the back end. And when it came time to pay, that wasn't going to happen. So it was a big enough piece to take the, the business, the family, everything from a very, very stable position to almost bankrupt with one call from my attorney when he said, this just isn't going to turn out the way it is. And then we went back and forth about whether to fight it, things like that. So at that point in time, we were at the end of 2015, where I'm sitting now, we had just moved into this house. It was, I hadn't even unpacked my office yet. So we had, we had upgraded to a much, much larger house, had two more kids on the way at the end of January, and business was upside down. So that was when disaster mode struck. And I went from, okay, I've got this business to, okay, now I got I to fix this and I got to do it quickly because I got a family to support. And that's what led to, to the whole 10 factor where I uh, went in and just kind of started t- basically taking care of all the stuff that I knew that I never did. At that point in time, I didn't have a choice. I just had to, I had to fix it like right now. And I did. Yeah. I mean, I think so often, I love the way you said that, You know, doing the things that you knew. I mean, so often it's hard to take our own advice. Um, and so I'm curious, you know, what was your headspace like at that time? I mean, were you, were you focusing on your mindset and you know, able to kind of stay positive and have that faith in yourself to figure it out? Or did you get into a pretty dark place then? I didn't get into a dark place. Uh, and, and I think the reason was, was because I knew that early on that I had built the business and I had built it really fast. So I knew that I had the ability to go out there and do that again. So really what happened was I went through a series of steps the first day when I, when I got off the phone, which is the first three steps of the 10 factor where I, I had like a gut level instinct, which I call the 10 second test. And then I, I went, I spoke with my wife and we kind of talked about it, told her what the situation was. She was a couple of rooms away and uh, that came back to my desk. And, and in that process, I was, was writing out some, some notes. And what I figured out pretty quickly was, hey, I, I can't go get a job because I'm not going to make enough money to cover this hole that we just ended up in. So I got to fix it with the business. So that got my headspace there quickly. Then I backed away from it for the rest of that first day. And I'm, I'm still not sure how I did that. But I went back to my day and I came back that night and removed some of the emotion and kind of laid out my thoughts a little bit more logically. And that's what I call the 10-hour reflection in the program. So you kind of sleep on it basically. And come, it's like when you write that email and you know you shouldn't hit send, you say, let me sleep on it. And the next morning, you go, oh my God, I didn't send that. It's kind of one of those moments. So I, so I did that. 
And then um, it was just a matter of going back in my head and say, what did I do differently in 2008 that I'm doing now? And I went back to a lot of the things that I had done before. So I got rid of most of my contractors, my subcontractors that weren't real quality A people. I just cut them, started saying no to about nine out of 10 opportunities that were coming in the door that weren't right in my sweet spot. It just cut all the fat and, and went through. And that's why I figured out pretty quickly, hey, this, this is kind of easy. Like I, this business that I've been stressing about all these years, you get rid of all of the, the complacency that inevitably creeps its way in. And you can really get out there and, and do that. And I think that goes in most industries. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think when when entrepreneurs start out in a business, one of the fears is that there isn't going to be enough opportunity for you. But the reality is that what so often kills businesses is too much opportunity and saying yes to things that you really shouldn't yet say yes to, saying yes to a bad fit client because you're not sure, you know, when when the next client is going to show up. And and those are the decisions that are really based in fear that can get you in a in a bad spot quickly. And it sounds like, you know, that's a large part of, you know, what you help business owners now to do for themselves is to, you know, start focusing on the right opportunity rather than all opportunity. Is that a fair assessment? It, it is. And, and the reason is, I think, is because um, we as entrepreneurs, but at least what, what I do now, it's, it's really on the, the serving side. And, and I feel like I always was because you're always fulfilling when you, you know, I wasn't producing a product. Everything I did was custom. So it was, it was figure out, you know, you had a basic idea or a dream that somebody had, and then we were going to go in there and, and figure out how to, how to take that mindset, thought, you know, the dream they had that they didn't put on paper, or even tell you what they wanted, how to pull that from them and then produce that product. So now, you know, we're in a space where people tend to try to go above and beyond their expertise level. So if you're like me, and you want everything to be done at a pro level, you have the integrity that your business is not going to do anything less than that. The client's not paying for you to learn. So they're paying the fair price. And then you're going in and you're giving them a pro product, but it takes you longer because you're all over the place and you're not as niched down. So you end up not being as profitable. You work harder, all the stresses that come with it. And that's what happens to businesses, not realizing that, hey, if I just completely go to one little thing and become the best at it, there's so many people that need that. It's just a matter then of marketing to the right people with the right product and the opportunities are endless. And that's, that's part of what I help people with. And the bigger part that I help people with is what I had alluded to earlier in the episode is building the business around your, your ideal life. So with me, I didn't even realize this. There, there, was, there was a couple moments through the journey where I realized how blessed I was. So when we hit the adversity with the payment issue, I went back and I said, oh my gosh, I set up these redundancies and things a decade ago, basically, because I just knew because I worked for a hundred year old company that had weathered the Great Depression and the wars and all these different things. They had all that in place. I just, that was just something you did. I realized all these entrepreneurs go out and start these businesses and they're just, they're on a shoestring. They have no idea what they're going to do if something happens. So that was a big thing that I took away. And then the second thing I, I took away was that I didn't realize that I had just scheduled around my family all those years. So if I had to be at school at noon for my oldest daughter's event, it just went on my calendar. It was like no big deal. Then I realized other people don't do that. So I, I, I started using the phrase right of refusal. So it's there. I acknowledge it. 
If I can't get there, then that's okay. But at least I always acknowledge those activities before I agree to anything else. And then it's really taking control and saying, hey, if somebody really wants my time, their time is very valuable, but my time is valuable too. So if you can set that tone with clients and prospects on the front end, what happens is you end up working with people that respect your time, you respect their time, you kind of cut the tire kickers right out of the gate. It's almost like a form of pre-qualification that you do without just the right kind of people just gravitate to you. And all those things are just things that I guess I was blessed to know how to do naturally, but other people can't do that. Or, or haven't learned how to do that. So that's a lot of what I help them with. So the first thing is you got to help them get in the right mindset and figure out exactly not only what they want to do, but why they're doing it, what makes them get out of bed in the morning. And most people I find aren't deep enough, including myself at, at some points. They really don't understand why they're doing what they do. Once they figure that out, it's like a whole nother level. So that's part of it too. So for anyone listening to this this conversation right now who feels like they're trapped in their business, they feel like they're not prioritizing their family, you know, or they're just kind of running around like a chicken with their head chopped off, you know, trying to keep keep everything above water. You know, what is that first step? How do they in a practical sense get clear on what it is they're working for and and what's important to them? Well, the first step is always to focus, which which a big part of that is mindset. But, but let's just say if you're listening and you have a business, you're already a statistic because most businesses are going to fail. So if your business is still there, then you got to pat yourself on the back because you're doing something right. And, th- and that's a huge, huge piece. And what I find when people come to me is if they have a... It, now, I have to qualify this. I'm not interested in working for somebody that's not going to do things above board. So if you're running an operation that's, that's done, we'll use the word legally, we'll use that loosely. But if you're doing it, if you're working right above board and you come to me with a business and you're kind of at that point where you're, you're, you're still in business, you're still making profit, but you're stressed out, you're working too much. I find that those businesses just need a, a fine tuning or a tweaking in a lot of instances. So you're really, really close to where you need to be. And it's different for everybody, but it's really a function of getting somebody from the outside, a different perspective looking in. Sometimes you get too close to it and you don't realize it. So in, in my case, when I went back and, and kind of reinvented the wheel and just basically did what I had done years ago, I did that, I think, out of necessity. But if I had hired a coach at that point in time, before that happened, a good coach, they would have probably had me do a lot of the things that I did anyway. And, and that's, I guess, the thing that... So, so now, I mean, it, for me, um, paying a coach is just... That's part, of my, that's part of my overhead every year. I mean, it's just something I do. And when I hired my first coach, it was like, wow. And, and, and I, had, I had to make the analogy that, you know, gosh, if you know, a professional baseball player in the offseason is going to work with somebody privately, an actor is going to have an actor's coach, a speaker is going to have a speaker coach, anybody that's on a pro level is going to have a coach. Well, if you're an entrepreneur or business owner, then guess what? You're, you're a professional too. It doesn't matter what you do. So having a coach is part of the mix, in my opinion. No, I completely agree. I mean, I, I I consider myself to be a coaching junkie of sorts. I mean, but it's, <laughs> again, something that I just think is 
is necessary. You would never have a pro athlete that doesn't have a trainer. And it's the same thing in, in business. Even if it's just someone to you know point out to you the things that you do know, but you're not actually applying. Um, and, and so you know, I'm curious... There is such an abundance of coaches out there. Um, you know, how do you or how do you recommend that someone you know actually look at the um, the marketplace and determine if a coach is a good coach, if they're the right person to to help them grow their business? Well, well, number one, you have to you have to find a coach that I feel like that aligns with some of the common beliefs that you have. So. How you figure that out is you're, you're gonna, somebody is gonna is gonna pique your interest, and somebody is you know it's it's like when you walk into a a conference and something is gonna make you start a conversation with somebody that you're gonna end up hanging out with for an hour or so and talking, and something's gonna make you talk to somebody else for 15 seconds and move on. Whatever that is, whatever that attraction is, is the same thing you have with a coach. That, that somebody that resonates with you, that, that can, that, I guess that gets you. So, so that's part of it. But the, the way that I find is best, like the people that, that come to me, typically they'll follow me for a while. They'll listen to my podcast. They'll read, they'll read my, my stuff. They may end up on the email list. They'll, they'll follow on social media. Sometimes they, they follow without you even knowing. They don't subscribe. They just kind of you know check in now and every now and then. And eventually, they, they reach out. I'll get an email or I'll get a message through, I get a message through Instagram or something like that where they just say, Hey, let's, you know, I'm interested or they'll opt into one of the, the programs and ends up on a phone call and, and that's how it works. But they're basically building the trust level. So it's, it's really a know you like you trust you, which is a typical sales funnel. But I feel like, you know, on the, the end that we're on where we're trying to take a prospect and, and nurture them and get them to buy. By, by producing, you know, value. And eventually they're going to they're say, okay, well, you're producing so much free value that, hey, what can you do if we pay you? That, that's really the, the perfect storm where somebody becomes a, a paying client and a long-term client. They're like a raving fan. But from the client perspective, it's the same thing. I don't advocate you go out there and you just hire somebody right off the bat. So in my case, the way that I found the coaches I work with was very simple. I was switching gears was starting my consulting company it was starting to i was training myself to kind of double down on things i already knew and and become an expert in that craft so i was doing a lot of reading i was doing a lot of personal development and a lot of what i was reading i was trying to figure out how to frame out my company so i was specifically reading book after book after book and none of them made sense to me in the sense that they just didn't it didn't that wasn't the way i wanted to build it and then I finally read one that hit me. And when that hit me, I said, okay, well, that makes sense. So I ended up at the end of that book, I ended up opting in and downloading something, which led me to a webinar, which led me to a phone call, which led me to, you know, almost three years later here, I just, you know, re-upped to work with these guys for another year. So that's how it works. But I truly went through that process, but that book resonated with me. And when that book resonated, then that told me, hey, this is somebody I want to work with. So what does that look like at the 10 factor? Who is, you know, kind of your ideal client? How would you describe someone who, you know, is is typically the best fit to go through this 10-month roadmap that you've put together? So my ideal client is somebody that is in that that 35 to 45 year range typically, sometimes a little bit younger, sometimes a little bit older, 
but they're at that stage of their life where they've moved into typically are going to have children and they care about their children in the sense that not, not to say that other people don't care about their children, but they care about spending the quality time with them. And they're in this proverbial hamster wheel where they're scared to death that they're going to miss out on all of those you know, pieces that never repeat themselves as the kids grow up so fast. So they find themselves in this stress point where when they're working, they're stressed that they're not with their family. And when with their family, they're stressed that they're not providing for their family because they're not working. So they end up just, it's a constant state of stress. They're laying in bed at night saying, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? So when they feel like that, they, they go back and forth and they almost feel like maybe I should just have a job because then I can just go to work and not have all this stress. And, and those people come to me and that's what we work with. And we figure out how to take things out of the equation, how to double down and really work on your successes, the things that you're good at. And that's, that's a big mistake that I think a lot of people make is they try to improve their things that they're not good at. What I try to do is I say, what, what are you good at? Let's improve that and become great at that. And let's figure out how to delegate those other things. And that's just, and that's what we do through the process of, of the 10 factor. Over 10 months, you, you figure out exactly what you want. You figure out whether it's, you know, whether it's going to, if it's already at market or if it's going to come to market, whether it's something that's going to be out there that's really going to put you where you need. And then we go through the testing phases. Testing never ends, but at that point, you're going through the testing phase. And then on the back end of that, you're optimizing and then you're scaling. And that's what happens over the 10 months. Incredible. Well, so changing gears a little bit, Tim, I want to talk about you know, really what fulfillment looks like for you in your business. Because you know, I know that in in a large way, I mean, you're really what you do is is changing lives, you know, helping people to spend time with their families to, you know, find um, you know, find happiness in their business, really at the end of the day. Um, but I know that something else that's important to you is you know giving back. Um, and specifically you give back uh, to help the fight of prostate cancer. And I think what's what's incredible is that you know this isn't something you're kind of shouting from the rooftops, but it's something that's near and dear to your heart and that you know you that you do within the business. So could you talk a little bit about that, you know, why it's so important to you and what it means to you to be able to leverage your success to give back in that way? Yeah, sure. So, so with that, it, it's in the family and, and it's in a lot of families. And you, when you read the statistics, cancer in general, it, it, it's, it's going to be hard pressed to find a family that, that hasn't experienced a loss or is not right now going through a loss from, from some specific type of cancer. And, you know, you know, breast cancer awareness is huge and but but in my case, the, the prostate cancer, my grandfather and then my father, and that which means me, not yet, but I'm on that that path. So it it just made sense. And and I said, you know, hey, if people are gonna hit my website and they're gonna respect what I do, I know that people that come to my website are probably going to experience that. And a lot of people want to help. They just don't know how to do it. So all I've done is I've I've made an arrangement with, with Johns Hopkins, who's you know, world-renowned hospital, and they can go to my website. There's a little short video I do, or my daughter and I sit out in the front yard, and I was telling her about Grandpa having cancer, and my dad's at a point with with his where he's at an observation level now. So they're, wow. you know, that's a good thing. So the technology is 
is moving along and you know it's like nobody would even know so we don't talk about it that much it's not like it's really impacting the family in that sense right now but that can change very quickly so it's a way to proactively give people an opportunity to just go and then you know on on our behalf contribute to and and what Hopkins does with that money is they take that money and then that goes to the big research where the money is pulled together and it, that's what is used to create the technologies that you know, give people more years with their loved ones, which is really what it's all about. And then hopefully nip this thing in the butt someday. But right. now it's about, it's about prevention and you know, longevity and those things. Absolutely amazing. Well, Tim, you know, I think what is just so impressive about you is that you know, not only did you go through this hardship, turn it all around and create this business that would give you that time with your family, that would give you, you know, this, this life that you were looking for. Um, but you then chose to, to turn around and you know, reach out that hand and help other people to do the same through the 10 factor. So you have an incredible podcast. Anyone who's listening to this show right now, as soon as it's over, go find Tim's podcast, listen to that. You know, for someone who is really resonating with this conversation, Tim, you know, they they get that vibe, you know, as you talked about and and feel like you're the right person to help them. Where can they go to learn more about you, about the 10 factor, and to get involved with your program? So the best thing to do is just go right to the 10 factor. So it's T-H-E and then the number one zero F-A-C-T-O-R dot com. That's the 10 factor website. And when you go there, what I would urge you to do is just check it out. You can read about me. There's links to the podcast and there's links to the programs and things like that. But I would urge you to go ahead and download the free 10-factor personal assessment. And what that is, it's, it's pretty simple. It's, it's nine different areas. It's 45 items. And you go through, and if you're honest with yourself, I will tell you, you will not score very well on it. I don't, I don't even score very well on it. It's not designed for you to score well. It's designed for you to be honest with yourself and create a datum, a baseline of where you're at right now at this moment in time, a snapshot, if you will. And that way you can look at it visually and you can say, okay, now I can put all these pieces together and one by one by one, build these out and create the sum of the parts, which is really where the success is. So that was, that's, that's what that's designed for. But yeah, that's where I would do it. I would just go right there and love to have people reach out to me. So uh, there's, there's, that's what we're all about. Well, you know, just like they say, you know, you'll never improve what you don't measure. And so I love that you provide that self-assessment for people. I'm certainly going to go take it myself <laughs> and, uh, and we'll link to it in the show notes as well. So you know, with that, Tim, thank you so much for being here with me today, for sharing this uh, with, with the listeners. I really can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Lots of fun. It was a, it was a good episode. So thanks for having me. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to genuinely thank you for giving me this gift of your time and attention. I know how valuable that is, and so it truly means the world to be able to spread this message with you. Now, if you are getting value from this podcast, the most helpful thing you can do is to leave a five-star review and share this with your friends. Post a screenshot to your Instagram stories or even text the link to someone specific that you think would find value in this also. So with that, I hope this episode has inspired you to do well and do good. And I'll see you back here next week.